like uh, looking around at uh, Christmas lights? Anybody travel around Anchorage? Well, I, I found one uh, I thought you might enjoy. I went to the Amish Christmas lights. Uh, they, were, they, were really a, they were really fun. And, uh, you know, I should have been sad when my flashlight died, but really I was, uh, I was delighted. Did you get it? Delighted. Yes, okay, okay. Wait, there was a hypochondriac convention, and the lady got there. She says, no, you haven't missed much. Pretty much everybody called in sick. (laughs) And then it's Iditarod time, and so Carl is worried. He he begins to question the wisdom of the new doggy door. (laughs) All right. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study the Bible. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen. Amen. This message will be similar to the one I did a couple weeks ago in that I've given you a lot of information, and so you may want to have the notes to kind of contemplate uh, later, notes to contemplate in uh, days ahead. So all of you preachers in the house or speakers, you understand when you're writing your message, do you want to go deep or do you want to go wide? I'll tell you this, if you go deep and wide, everybody falls asleep. If you go wide, uh, it can be like fluffy, uh, like uh, if you go too deep. So the question is, how deep and how, how wide do you go? Uh, when I was a kid, the joke was uh, the, these guys weren't real smart, and they landed the plane, and it's like coming to a screeching stall, and the guy goes, man, this is the shortest runway I've ever seen. And the co-pilot goes, look how wide it is. <laughs> yeah, so they landed the wrong direction. But anyways... Uh, that's why you're trying to figure out when you're preaching. You're trying to figure out. So the way I'm, I'm doing it right at the moment is I'm going deep on the notes and a little wider on the presentation. And so, uh, for example, two weeks ago, the notes that were there, I think you could chew on those for a month. And uh, you, there's a lot of stuff. And so that's how we're going on this. So if the ushers would come down with the notes, maybe somebody didn't get those and you'd like to be able to follow along today. God, as we pick up the idea of who is my God, how do I order my love? We pray for insight and revelation and anointing. And in the end, I would like it to be able to say for me, my favorite line of any song, my Jesus, I love thee. I love thee in life. I love thee in death. I love thee as long as thou lendest me breath and say when the death dew lies cold on my brow. If ever I loved you, Jesus, I love you now. Amen. Amen. Shout out to Blaine and his team that did a funeral yesterday for Connie Ordway. I would suggest to you that Connie had the most difficult physical life of anybody I have ever known. I'm 58 years old. I have known nobody that had the physical battles she had. Uh, started with amputating a toe and then an, uh, an ankle and then a leg and then another leg. Uh, at the end, they removed both of her kidneys. And as uh, both of her kidneys were removed, her only hope for life was dialysis. And then when dialysis failed, she knew uh, it's just a matter of days before she would pass away. You can't live without kidneys, obviously. 
And at the end of her life, knowing she was dying, she had the great joy of the Lord. It was beautiful. I walked in the day before she died, and her face lit up, and uh, uh, she couldn't hear because of uh, various things. So we'd write on a board. And uh, I just want to say that uh, uh, yesterday was an illustration of somebody dying with the love of Jesus in their heart. And uh, I like that. I like that. You don't have to get old and bitter. By the fact, she didn't get old. How old was she? Like 48 or something. She, very young. But uh, there's a way to just live this thing of loving God with all your heart. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death separates me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. From this passage, I think we find the four most important decisions of every human life. We're working on decision number three, have several teachings on decision three. Number one, with who will I travel and stay? Your selection of your closest friends is your most important decision of your life. Number two, who are my people? Who's my tribe? Who's my group? It's the second most important decision of your life. Number three, who is my God, is a third most important decision of your life. Today, I say quickly and maybe pointedly, please choose the living God as your God. The one true living God, please make that selection. And then number four, how committed am I to these three decisions? So who is my God is the most important of my life's decisions is absolutely crucial. And you're in a Christian church today, and maybe maybe you're Muslim, maybe you're atheist, maybe you're Hindu, uh, maybe you are uh, a dropout, maybe uh, that's kind of the big deal in Alaska. People move to Alaska to drop out. It's just the way it rolls. And, and uh, people move here to drop out from uh, pressure financially. They move here to drop out from uh, political pressures. Uh, they move here to drop out from family religious pressures. So maybe you're a dropout. Maybe, but you're, you're here. And I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for considering the God of the Bible. I want to thank you for considering this person you've heard about named Jesus. And there's a growing number of people in the United States who have never heard the name Jesus other than a swear word. And, uh, and so we're about to do Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. The question I presented earlier is how deep do you go in your message and how wide? A second question that is being kind of foisted on the body of Christ is don't put the whole gospel out there because if you put there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun all of the seekers don't want to hear about eternity without God so you kind of bait and switch did any of you ever get baited and switched before here uh uh for for ten thousand dollars uh I'll pay you to do this work so you sign the contract only to find out that they said oh and this work 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 and you're like you're like dude we signed a contract you baited me in and then you switched and that's sort of the ro- the way Christianity's rolling in, a, in the world today it's like God is love everybody say God is love God is love yes 
I said, let's, let's, let's switch. Let's just hide that hell thing. Let's just hide that there's an eternity without God. Let's, let's not put it out there because, because people don't want to hear that. But the fact of the matter is, the best way I can understand it is the most important decision you make is who your God is. Because when you make that decision, it drives eternity for you. It drives forever for you. Any of you remember the old evangelist that would come here, Linfield Crowder? Uh, uh, one of the great moments of my life, his famous line, he get into every sermon, eternity, eternity, where will you spend eternity? And what will you do with Jesus? He, how many of you heard him say that? Any of you heard him say that? Hundreds of times he would say that. Well, uh, we have his library. 40,000 books are over in the uh, West Campus waiting to be shelved. And uh, when he died, he gave us his library. And we were downstairs boxing up his library. And he said, this, this hymnal right here, Kent, you're going to want to keep track of this one. I said, okay, I'll keep track of this one. Why? He opened it. His hands were shaking. He was uh, uh, feeble, about to go to heaven. He opened it up. I didn't know that's a song. Eternity, eternity, where will you spend eternity? And what will you do with Jesus is a song. And he said, Kent, this is the hymn book I was reading when God put that line into my heart. Well, what am I saying? I'm saying that the most important of your life decision isn't to say, you know what, I think I'll, I think I'll fall in love with Jesus. I think the most important decision of your life is I will become a devout follower of Jesus and provide for eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternity is on the line on who will your God be. Well, when we think about uh, loving God, we think about a feeling sometimes. And I like that. Do you like that? I like the feeling of loving God. Uh, I've been in the presence of the Lord, and it is the most sweet feeling you could ever have. Delightful feeling. I've been in the presence of Satan. If any of you ever been in the presence, I don't know if I've been in the presence of Satan, but I've been in the presence of a very high-ranking demonic power. I've been there in my lifetime. And just like you feel that sweet spirit of God, sweet, sweet spirit of the Lord, you know, uh, uh, in the presence of Jehovah, beautiful. Uh, one of my favorite songs, I'll meet you there, I'll meet you there, between the wings of the cherubim, I'll meet you there. Isn't that beautiful? Just that sweet spirit. I was walking down the street in Calcutta, and all of a sudden, it was like hell came over my sister and me. It was dark. It was wicked. It was diabolical. And we heard some noise and some chanting, and around the corner came a big truck with the goddess Kali in it. She has six arms, and in each arm, there's something she's killed, because Kali means goddess of death. Kutta means village. So Calcutta, or now Kolkata, Calcutta means the village that worships the goddess of death. And they had been doing a week-long festival and a line behind them of uh, at least 200, maybe 500, I don't even know, of people in a demonic trance come around there and you could feel the darkness. I mean, you could feel the darkness. So when I say loving God is a feeling, I really like it. I really like that feeling of loving God. 
But it's not just a feeling. People tell me this all the time. I think God should do this for me because I love him. And I go, you love him, but you haven't been loyal to him. Loyalty and love. Have you ever, uh, maybe you don't do counseling, but I, I see this fairly often. Pastor Kent, I love my wife. I love my wife and my girlfriend. No, you don't. This is not love. Love, in the note, is allegiance. One's highest allegiance is included in the expansive meaning of the biblical word love. Allegiance. Uh, About the only time we hear that might be, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And when we approach this subject of who is my God, and you say, you know what? Uh, I, I love God, I love God, and yet I keep making decisions that are loyal to me. I keep making decisions that ignore him. I keep making decisions that are my, uh, I, I, I prayed with Matt today in live, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but I sure don't mean it. Uh, uh, Mother Teresa said, I've learned to hold life loosely. Because it hurts so bad when God pries my fingers off of it. Right? Thy kingdom come, I'll go where you want me to go. Not there. Right? My mom used to do that to me. We fixed my mom's computer this week so she can watch again. So mom, welcome to MCA Church down there in Texas. She'd say, what do you want to drink for dinner tonight? Which we would always say, soda. She goes, just just ask and you're having milk. Well, I was like, why ask? If I got to have milk, why, why give me any options here? And we say, I love God, but you know what, God? You're not my first choice. I, 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 I hear this. You hear this too. Are you a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I go to Anchorage Baptist Temple. Are you a follower of Jesus? I'm a change point guy. Are you a follower of Jesus? I'm an MCA-er. As if, as if making that choice somehow uh, is a statement that your heart is fully loyal to God himself. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Deuteronomy 6, 4. The idea there isn't, therefore thou shalt have a feeling about God. Uh, therefore thou shalt have a, an emotion about God. It's more than, it is an emotion, but it's more than an emotion. It is a loyalty. In fact, my highest allegiance is God over my lesser allegiance. My higher allegiance is God over my lesser allegiance. My mom drove this into me, uh, undesired by me. I didn't want my mom to teach me this, but praise God, she did. One is the Lord's house and Sundays. I, I'm old-fashioned. You just have to, like, wipe me off as a, a anachronistic out of my era in history. I, uh, but that was drilled into me by my mom. And uh, my mom's view is that a Christian gives Sunday to the Lord. Thank you. I got one that's right over there. Appreciate it, Cher. Uh, right? And my mom would say it this way. My mom would say, son, the world is going to try to get you. To have Sunday be for everything other than God. But Sunday is the first day of the week. And the first day of the week has to be dedicated to the most important thing in your life who is God. 
And I want that one-seventh of your life to be fully committed to Christ. I'm like, Mom, nobody goes to church every week. Uh, I mean, there's fishing, and there's uh, hunting, and there's, uh, there's hockey games, and there's rehearsals. And, and my mom said, son, you're going to keep Sunday as the Lord's Day. And, and the, the God who saved you, son, deserves the first day of the week. I'm like, couple hours? She's like, no, 24 Did anybody have a mom like mine? Sunday started at 6 p.m. on Saturday night. Anybody? What did I do at 6 p.m. every Saturday night? I shined my shoes. Why? Because tomorrow was the Lord's day and he deserved shined shoes. And then, do you remember this? This is like really out of like the Ark Ages. A Sunday school quarterly. It was a book with your Sunday school lesson. Six o'clock, we shined our shoes. 6.30, we re-memorized our memory verse for tomorrow because we had to know the word of God for tomorrow. I'm like, like all you young people are like, never heard of this before maybe. Uh, And then what happened at 6.45? I got my quarter for the offering. I gave in every offering my quarter. That's what I did. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say my mom was suggesting to me early on, son, you are going to be tempted to not keep loyal to the Lord who saved you. And uh, uh, this came down, the biggest uh, crisis of my Sunday thing, I was about 10 or 11 years old, don't remember how old I was, and the Harlem Globetrotters came to Barrow, Alaska, in 1970-something. Can you believe it? What are the curly? Remember him, the bald guy. And, and the old guys, the real ones, not these fake ones you have now. The real Harlem Globetrotters came to Barrow on Sunday. Yep. I didn't go. I wanted to. It was even Sunday night. I said, Mom, Sunday morning counts. You know, I'm saying I go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. I, I don't need to go every Sunday night. It's long and boring, and I'm young. I've got life to live. All these years, I've seen the Harlem Globetrotters now many times. And, uh, but at that time, it was one of those parental guidance things, saying, son, the loves of your life are going to get out of rhythm as you look down the corridor of time, Kent, your, love, uh, your loves will get into these different rhythm patterns. And in this different rhythm patterns, you're going to have a hard time remembering which one is your main love. And, uh, and so I say it this way. Thanks, Mom. I say it this way. For the rest of my life, every Sunday belongs to God. Every Sunday belongs to God. So what happens is, uh, I was thinking about me. Uh, I like nothing to change in my personal life. I don't mind corporate change. It doesn't bother me a bit. Uh, if, we, you know, if we preach in different styles or we have different music, that doesn't bother me a bit. In my personal life, I like my bed every night, my pillow, and my blanket. <laughs> no, my blanket. I, like my, I don't like any change. I don't like any change at all. I love my life being normal. Ever since I was a baby in the hospital and didn't get my bed, I 
love my bed at home every night. So here I am. Here's my little rhythm. I love my house. I love being in my own space. I'll go where you want me to go. It's like, but God, any of you like your food? You know what I'm saying? I'm not kidding. In Australia, Mike Fields and I were coming home for the Glenn Godfrey funeral. We ordered food at the restaurant, and all of a sudden we noticed it was still alive. That bug was looking at us. And they're like, uh, we thought we ordered seafood. We ordered like living animals on this plate, you know? I'm like, I'm out of there. This guy goes, uh, he goes, he went to lunch in China, and he opened it, and a duck looked out like this, and he closed it real quick. He said it was Peking duck. <laughs> but anyways, um, the, the idea, we get these different rhythms rolling, and then we got to figure out, uh, I love Paula. With all of my heart, I love Paula. I don't love Paula any less than I love God, but I have a higher loyalty to God. And so for the last, she's doing so well right now. This is a big praise God. My wife is feeling a thousand times better. But for 15 years, my wife heard out of one to 10, you know how you go to the doctor, they have a little smiley face over to the crying face, one to 10. My wife hurt for 15 years at 10 all day, every day. And her deepest desire was to go somewhere hot and sunny because where it's hot and sunny, it doesn't hurt as bad. And I'm here thinking, I love my wife, and I like hot and sunny too, but the Lord hasn't let me go yet from the calling that he's put on my life. How am I going to make this decision? Because I have to keep all of these loves in my life somehow going toward this, I love thee, Jesus. I love thee in life. I love thee in death. I love thee as long as thou lendest me breath. You see, God doesn't ask you to kill love. He doesn't ask you to destroy love. He asks you to get love in the right order. And so maybe these metronomes are a little bit like your life. Check these out. two metronomes there, all loving something else, let's say, all moving to the own rhythm of their love. And that's, that, that can happen. Uh, so let's just, uh, I'm using church as an illustration because that's my whole life is church. But uh, uh, let's use something else. Uh, money. You know what? I got this thing going. I'm going to be, I'm going to have $100,000 in my account before retirement. And the Lord's saying, give it to feed the hungry. And you go, okay, God, uh, I'll never forget. This is my, this, this was an illustration in, in disordered love for me. And I'm not judging him, but it was a great illustration for me. We were at gi- district council many years ago, and the guy was taking the offering. And he said, we're going to do a mission. We're going to do a big missionary offering today. He said, I stepped out of my house on the way to this service, and I saw my two Cadillacs, brand new. And I saw my motorhome, and I saw my beautiful house. And I just want to say, God's been good to me. And so I'm leading this offering with $100. 
I thought he was going to give the motor home. <laughs> I'm like, no way. A motor. No. Uh, basically, uh, you see what I'm saying about ordered love? Uh, you see kind of the, the challenge of the passage. So like those mismatched metronomes, I can too easily have unrhythmical love. I, try, I worked hard on that, unrhythmical love. You Google, what's the opposite of rhythm? <laughs> and uh, that's the only option, unrhythmical loves. And so let's just say that, uh, let's just, I, I thought, I tried it with my hands. Let's all try this. Try to get your hands moving in rhythms that don't match. <laughs> it's really hard to do. They match, right? Like if you want this one to go at a certain speed and you want this one to go at a speed that doesn't align with that, I mean, you try to get somebody to play the piano, the left hand at one speed and the right hand at a different speed, it's almost impossible to do. But we can do it with our love. We can get our love for this going at a certain rhythm. We can get our love lost over on this rhythm. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with them, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And so time goes on. Jesus is resurrected from the grave and he's now standing before this same Peter. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Maybe it's one time for each denial. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So why does Jesus ask about love? Because Jesus is more interested in allegiance and love than he is in all the denials. He's more interested in allegiance and love than he is about the things that Peter had said. I, I never really... Like visualize this passage uh, in this way. But it says there in the passage that Peter said, I don't even know him. And then Jesus looked at Peter. In other words, Peter was saying this in the presence of Jesus. It'd be like me saying right now, Matt, I, I, I never met him. 
I don't even want to be identified with Matt. No, I'm not one of his. It's not like off in a hidden room, but publicly he denies this, this friend. He just publicly denies him. Why doesn't Jesus say, hey, Peter, let's talk about denial. You got to get over it. You got to stop that denial stuff, Peter. You know what, Peter? I am now the living Lord, and I got to straighten you out, buddy, because Jesus knows that if you get the allegiance of your heart right, everything else will line up and be right too. In other words, Peter, I want to make sure that you have rhythmical love. I think maybe Peter was uh, uh, loving the known of his life more than the unknown of total allegiance to Jesus. Uh, uh, I want to say to all of you that are followers of Jesus, you've heard this before. God says, go. And you say, okay, where? He goes, I'll tell you later. It's like, no, I am not following you without knowing where you're going. Peter's like, I don't know where this, I don't know where this fireside chat's going, but it's not looking too good. And Jesus, I'd rather stick with the known than the unknown of total allegiance to Christ. Or maybe Peter loved fitting in with the crowd around the fire more than the total allegiance that would come from identifying with Christ. It's like, no, I don't, I don't really want to go and I, I'm not with him. I'm afraid of what that might look like. Maybe, maybe Peter loved feeling in control of his life more than total allegiance to Jesus. Maybe he liked that sense of control, uh, that sense of, uh, the next one is the power of self-determination. I don't want to be powerless. Powerlessness is a scary feeling, but the beauty, uh, I'll add to my line there, the beauty of powerlessness in Christianity is you're in the hands of the all-powerful God. And so you, you say, okay, God, I got this need to have power in my life. I love to be in control of my life, but I actually love you being in control of my life more. And so God, help me get my desire to control my life in the proper order of loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe he loved living for self more than dying with Christ. How significant and beautiful it is. I think this paragraph is worth chewing on. That the only thing that Jesus Christ cares to ask about is the sinner's love. We might have expected, Simon, son of Jonas, are you sorry for what you did? Or Simon, son of Jonas, will you promise never to do the like anymore? No. These things will come if the other thing is there. Lovest thou me? Listen to this line. Jesus Christ sues each of us. Not for obedience primarily. Not for repentance. Not for vows. Not for conduct. But for our heart. And that being given, all the rest will follow. That is the distinguishing characteristic of Christian morality. That Jesus seeks first for the surrender of the affections and believes and is warranted in the belief that if my affections are surrendered to Christ, all else will follow. And love being given, loyalty and service and repentance and hatred of self-will and of self-seeking will follow in her train. This is why the first commandment is so powerful. Thou shalt have no other gods before 
me. All of life loses its cadence when we have other gods before the one true living God. Your life loses its rhythm when you have something between you and God. Somehow, I, I, think, I think we will learn in eternity how much being out of rhythm with God creates disease. I have no science for that at this moment. I do have Bible for that at this moment. The Bible says in Proverbs, envy rots the bones. In other words, here's the rhythm of God, which is praise God for your success. Praise God for how good it's going for you. And you line up with that rhythm, your body's going to be far more healthy than you let a little envy get in there. Because when envy gets in there, it changes the rhythm of your life and it damages your bones. The best illustration I can recall in my life was uh, Mike Bickle. Some of you know Mike Bickle, IHOP International House of Prayer in Kansas City. I was at a conference uh, in California, and he's praying for a lady who is uh, blind. And he said, I'm praying for you. You're blind. Uh, uh, he goes, uh, you know what? I just, I just keep hearing like the Holy Spirit say, you need to forgive your dad. She goes, how'd you know about my dad? He goes, I think the Holy Spirit told me. I can't forgive him. It's how you can't even ask me. You don't know what he did to me. He goes, I don't know anything. All I know is I just hear the Holy Spirit say, you need to forgive him. Lord, help her forgive him. Pretty soon she starts, he said, weeping. Her shoulders are shaking. I forgive you, dad. I forgive you, dad. And when she opened her eyes, she could see 2020. Why? Because when you get your life on the right rhythm of the metronome of God, the cadence of your life works better. Everything prospers. Jesus knows what the tendency, like my mom did. Son, you're going to be tempted to not keep Jesus number one in your life. Jesus knew that. And so he shocks us. Unless you come and follow me and hate your father and mother... Your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters, in fact, you have to hate your own life. If you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple. Oh, yeah. Jesus didn't mean it. It's just like Jesus talking. No, Jesus meant it. He meant it. Now, the way he meant it, I think, is important. But don't, don't lose sight of this. In other words, if your mom and God are out of rhythm and you choose mom over God, you're not his disciple. Uh, what an illustration, I uh, won't give the name, but one of our pastors in the past, his dad came to him and he said, I know that Kent has offered you a job and I know that you're gifted in the job he's offered to you. But I've been around churches a long time, son, and you're going to not make very much money. You are going to be living a life of a middle class, lower middle class, maybe even poverty life. And as your dad, I'm asking you, don't become a pastor. And I watched my buddy have the rhythm of his dad, get out of the rhythm with his God, and struggle. Do I honor dad? Or do I follow God? And today, 
this person's one of the most prolific in his field in the United States of America because he followed God. But do you see the struggle, what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you know what? There are going to be these great loves in your life. And, and if any of them get up above this allegiance to God, it's going to be a damaging place for you to live and you to be. So Jesus calls for a follower who will hate his mother and father, his wife and children, yes, even his own life. The point of the list is that no other relationship is first for a disciple. Hate is used figuratively and suggests a priority of relationship. Jesus is first. To follow Jesus means to follow Jesus, not anyone or anything else. A disciple is a learner, and the primary teacher in this life is Jesus. So total loyalty to Jesus is crucial. Given the rejection and persecution that lie ahead, if his followers care more about family than about Jesus, when families are divided under pressure of persecution, they will choose against Jesus. This is what lies behind Jesus' remarks. Discipleship is not possible if Jesus is not the teacher. This is why bearing the cross and coming after Jesus is the issue of discipleship. Learning from Jesus means following him experiencing the rejection he experienced and so bearing the cross he bore we cannot learn jesus without being prepared to walk this path discipleship is basically allegiance to follow jesus is to rely on him a lady gets saved at heaven's gates and hell's flames she's doing great just serving god with all her heart and uh best i could tell and one day, I'm here, I don't remember what day of the week it was, a man comes up to me, and he is angry at me. I mean, he's angry at me. I'm like, yeah? He goes, you stole my wife. I said, I did, huh? <laughs> Didn't know I stole anybody's wife. He goes, well, not really you. But she went to that drama thing, and she won't smoke dope with me anymore. She doesn't watch porn uh, doesn't watch porn with me anymore. She's not the same lady she used to be. You stole my wife. She met with me. She goes, "I'm having a hard time picking whether I'm going to be like follower of Jesus or keep my husband happy." She chose her husband. So, it's not just Theology in the sky, it's, it's commitment. One funny, one funny commitment, uh, Friday is my day off, and I decided to make my kids and my family in charge of what I do on Fridays. I did this years ago, because my wife said, we're always last. If anybody wants Friday, you give it to them. You always leave us last. I said, I absolutely think you're right. <laughs> so I better change that. So I decided to let people my kids vote on what I do on Friday. My allegiance is to my family. Friday is family day. Still is. This is my allegiance. I get called and invited to pray, I think at the inauguration of Sarah Palin. I can't remember exactly. It was a big political thing in Juneau. It's really cool. I'm thinking this is really going to be cool. I really want to do that. It was Friday. So I go to my kids. I build it up, right? I said, this is a really big deal. It's really cool. And your daddy gets to, they all voted no. It was a unanimous no. <laughs> kids vote no. Kent wants to. 
different metronomes. I chose my kids. I'm glad for once I did what was right. But uh, imagine the beauty of a rhythmic love, each in cadence with the other, and all in step with God. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? When all of you is going the same direction. Oh, man, it's beautiful. Augustine of Hippo is the foundational thinker of ordered loves. He said it this way, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him, the greatest adventure. To find him, the greatest achievement. Romance, adventure, and achievement. I am becoming a person of fully realized potential when all the loves of my life are in proper order and rhythmic with God. Let's go back to the metronomes. Isn't that amazing how they all got in sync and rhythm together? And uh, the goal of our missions program, a church can have a missions program that, you know, is uh, forceful and it says, you know, you have to do this and you have to do that or, you know, you have to contribute this, you have to go here, you have to go there. The goal of our mission program is that it comes out of that rhythm of love with Jesus 
We want everyone to be serving out of their love, giving out of their love for Jesus. And when you do that, it's, it's, everything stays in rhythm, and it's a really neat thing. And so Pastor Kent always, already mentioned a few uh, of the projects that we have going on in Africa that we're going to be dedicating a week from today. And that's really exciting to see what God's doing in, in Burkina Faso. And then in addition to that, we've, we've sent money to Fort Yukon, and uh, we, every month we support a number of missionaries. One of the missionaries we, we support is Jeff Nelson, and I had the opportunity to have coffee with him. He's up in Alaska for a few weeks. And uh, it's really fun to see God using people who are in rhythm with his, with his heart and who, have, who are in that same rhythm. And so as we receive our missions offering today, I encourage you, if, you know, if God hasn't placed a part of the world on your heart yet, maybe he wants to do that today. And so pray and ask God to, to give a piece of his world into your heart, and he would love to do that. Every month we send about $5,000 to missionaries around.